Okay, here it comes. WWV. All the time, all the time. Stand by now. Same time, same station, every time. WWV. They're going to play them now. One, two, three, four. Every second counts at WWV. Our ads, they're going to play them right now. Stand by. For a good time, call 555-4-WWV. Wait, no, that wasn't it. Hold on, stand by. WWV, for the time of your life. No, it should be coming out. Stand by, hold on. They, they told me it was coming at this we'll time. We'll be back with the time on WWV in just a minute. But first, here's another minute. <laughs> all right, okay, all right, there you have it. I don't know. You know, we got a few of you guys. I got emails. Got emails from guys who said they were tuning in to WWV, listening for those solder smoke ads, and, you know, they couldn't hear them. I bet you I got a few of you guys right there right now. I bet you were standing by. We're waiting to hear <laughs> about solder smoke. Don't feel bad. If you were taken in, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, the WWV ads. Um, thanks for everyone who contributed ideas and suggestions for um, this year's April 1st operation. I really like the idea. The... Um, a uh, person who was responsible for it will be mentioned later, or perhaps we should, you know, allow, allow him to remain anonymous for, for security reasons. Uh, very good. Hey, listen, welcome to Solder Smoke 152, 152. It's, it's May 18th, 2013. I've been a long time between solder smokes, but I've been busy. I've been on the workbench. I've been melting solder. I've been doing digital stuff, <clears throat> all kinds of good stuff going on here. So very happy to get in front of the solder smoke microphone here and let you guys know what's going on. Uh, conditions have been good too. Um, uh, the uh, the sun has been cooperating. Uh, band conditions have been getting better. So I've actually been spending a lot of time on the air also. Uh, more about that in a second. A lot of time on 20, uh, 20 CW. I've been uh, I've worked uh, I worked Japan on uh, 17 meter SSB with the with the homebrew rig. I hear Indonesia. I hear all kinds of exotic BX coming through. Spent a lot of time on 20CW also. I think uh, a lot of the CW fans will be happy to, to hear that. But um, I fired up this little QRP rig that I built in the Dominican Republic a long time ago. I think I talked about that in the last uh, Solder Smoke broadcast. But um, been having some fun on 20CW. Doing some telescope maintenance too. Um, it's kind of things sounds like Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance. Uh, Zen and the art of telescope maintenance. Uh, continuing to work on my um, Dobsonian telescope. Uh, the lubrication issue. I've you know I've dug a little bit deeper on the internet. And for those of you who are interested in how best to lubricate a Dobsonian Newtonian telescope, turtle wax is out. Forget the turtle wax. Uh, chapstick. Chapstick is the uh, the next thing. I haven't tested it myself, but I understand chapstick is the uh, kind of state of the art in <laughs> how to lubricate one of these telescopes. Also, um, a major, well, not a major, but a, well, a significant uh, spring cleaning and shack reorganization here at N2CQR. Uh, getting a little bit better organized and uh, putting everything in its place, more or less, and it uh, makes it easier for me to get to the uh, to the parts. And when it comes time to build things, also working on uh, some kind of work areas for um, for Billy. You guys always like to hear about that. Uh, uh, we have a kind of a 
a carport right next to the shack. It had been sort of a de the repository for all kinds of junk that we didn't want in the house. So we decided this was a waste of space and a month or so ago, you know, sent a whole bunch of stuff off to Craigslist and to the junkyard. And the, um, the, uh, the carport area has now become a uh, weightlifting gym for Billy. So he's got his gym out there. And so sometimes when I'm not right now, he's, he's snoozing at this time, but, uh, right now, uh, I mean, every once in a while I'll be here in the shack and, uh, my uh, 17 meter modulation will be uh, kind of punctuated by the sound of him hitting a punching bag or, or lifting weights. Also, the shed. We have a shed out in the backyard that used to be filled also with junk. That's been liberated and that's going to be turned into a uh, summertime hangout. This weekend, I might install the, the air conditioner in the shed. You can't have a summertime hangout in Virginia without air conditioning. So, uh, these are the developments that are taking place here on the, uh, on the home front. At Sutter Smoke HQ, but in the shack, I must report, I know some of you are going to like this, some of you are going to find it somewhat disturbing. Digital developments here at Sutter Smoke HQ. <clears throat> yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, the digital wave has finally hit Sutter Smoke. <laughs> finally. Um, I know a lot of you have been, been wondering when it was going to happen, but <clears throat> I think it has. Two Two projects. Uh, and I'll, I'll break them down into two parts because that's what you do when you have two projects. But uh, so uh, anyway, the first one has to do with Arduino. I've been talking to you about the Arduino microcontroller, and um, I uh, I finally broke down uh, a few weeks ago and started kind of semi-seriously tinkering with it. My first application for the Arduino, what I wanted to do was to get a uh, an a keyer going for a CW beacon. A long time ago, I built a, a little transmitter designed by Doug DeMoor. I think it's a, it's in one of his QRP books. It's either in the QRP notebook or design notes by Doug DeMoor, W1FB. And the name of the rig was the Little Slugger. And it's a little CW transmitter, um, three or four transistors. And I built it a long time ago and used it as a CW beacon. I'm not sure where I was when I built it, but it might have been back here in Virginia a long time ago. But um, I, I I got a little keyer circuit for it and uh, and used that to uh, to drive the beacon. But I always had a problem with this particular keyer in that to input the CW, I needed to, to use um, an iambic keyer. And I am really old-fashioned in my... Uh, CW transmitting methods. I, I'm, I'm a straight key guy, so it was always a real chore for me. The only time I would ever use the name iambic or you know sideswiper keyer was when I would have to program this little uh, keyer circuit, and it was it was really kind of high stress for me. I mean, I actually I built a cootie keyer out of a hacksaw blade, but the only time I've ever used it was to program the keyer and. Anyway, right now that keyer is still set up for uh, N2CQR slash Italy Zero. And uh, the thought of dragging out the Cootie keyer, figuring out how to use it, and then spending a few hours getting the CW sequence exactly right for the keyer, well, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't very appealing. So 
I turned to Arduino, the little microcontroller. Now let me sum it up for you guys who are wondering what the heck a microcontroller is. Imagine an entire computer on one chip, a computer on a chip, the whole thing. Memory, CPU, input-output devices, they put the whole thing on one chip. And in the case of, uh, of the Arduino, the little chip is about half the size of your pinky. Now it's on a little board because they've got all kinds of connectors and power connectors and input-output lines on the little board. But still, the board, the whole board, is a little bit larger than a credit card. Um, anyway, my first purpose for the Arduino was to come up with a, a key or something that would <laughs> just send CW, turn a, turn a relay or a transistor, a keying transistor, on and off. What I wanted was something that would be easily reprogrammable, so easily, so I could go in there and change whatever CW message I was sending out on the 10 meter band with Doug DeMaw's little slugger transmitter. Um, so I started reading in on the Arduino and um, all kinds of great literature and information out there. Uh, I listened to um, uh, uh, Chat with the Designers, number 47. Joe, sorry, the dog was causing me trouble. Chat with the designers. George and Joe uh, did did us a, uh, um, a program on Arduino. It's Chat with the designers number forty seven. Those of you who are interested, check it out. Listen to it. It's it's really uh, inspirational. Oh, I got I got to chuckle. And George will laugh when I say this. His his Italian pronunciation. I think I, I hear a Russian in there. Um, they <laughs> one of the versions of Arduino is. Um, uh, uh, and on chat with the designers it came out as Duamilinov. <laughs> I briefly saw myself thinking, holy cow, there's a, a Russian version of Arduino out there. <laughs> but, so I got a chuckle out of that, uh, George. But really, 47 was, was really inspirational. QST also did an article on Arduino uh, recently. All these things, all these forces were pushing me in the direction of... Um, of working with this new little board. Um, in the course of setting up a, a little keying circuit with a relay, I managed to actually damage the Arduino board. I think I put a little bit too much juice uh, into one of the output uh, circuits or something, but I, I broke it and the thing started heating up and and, it, and I thought it was all was lost. But um, I started, you know, my, my home brewing troubleshooting instincts kind of kicked in and, e and even on this um, you know fairly sophisticated piece of of uh, micro controller hardware I started you know I would almost instinctively started kind of poking around the board with my finger and I actually found the little chip the one little chip that was heating up and uh, I kind of consulted the internet and I asked a couple questions out there in, in Arduino land and I was told that the chip that was heating up was not all that important. It was actually a little chip, and its only purpose was to determine whether the uh, the voltage to run the Arduino board was coming via the USB uh, the USB uh, connector or via the uh, the power in connector. You could you could power the board in one of two ways. And so I figured, well. The thing to do is to get rid of it is just to get rid of that chip and see if the board would work without the chip. So this was my first ever use of the, the hot air feature on the soldering station that I bought after 
receiving a recommendation from the chat with the designer guys. And I fired that thing up and hot air was blowing out and I aimed the hot air at that little surface mount device on the Arduino board and pop, that little problematic surface mount chip just came right off. And sure enough, the, uh, the board went back to working just fine. It doesn't select between the two power sources, but that's okay because I'm at this point just powering it from the um, the USB uh, connector. This really, you know, <laughs> wow, I fixed an Arduino. <laughs> Not really, because I really don't know how it's working. So it was a it was a sort of satisfying repair, but but not completely. Um, there's still a lot of little mystery boxes in there for me, and that sort of takes away from it. But I digress. Listen, another thing that that really uh, that I really like about the Arduino is the way you can just use and borrow um, code from from others, and that's what I did here. I kind of st started poking around the internet looking for uh, an Arduino program that would serve my my CW Beacon purposes, and I was led almost immediately to uh, to Mark. Uh, K6HX's Brainwagon site, a site that I've been a fan of for many years. I know many of you guys also read uh, Mark's blog. And uh, he, a little while back, had been kind of poking around with um, Arduino. And, and, and Mark is a very talented uh, computer uh, uh, hardware and software guy. And sure enough, he had come up with a CW program that he, he considered trivial, but for me it was magnificent and a masterpiece. And I was able to, to download it um, and send it into my little Arduino. And the next thing you know, this thing was, was um, uh, clicking away with, uh, with the beacon uh, message and exactly the beacon message I wanted. I was able, you know, and I don't, I don't know anything about software, but I was able to go into and look at uh, Mark's code and see the line where he wrote the message that would be transmitted. So I went in there and just changed it to my call sign. And I could see the line in the code where he was uh, setting the CW speed. So I was able to go in there and, and change that to my liking. So exactly what I wanted, something that I could very easily go into and change whatever CW message I'm, I'm sending out on 10 meters. You know, you can go in there and tell, ask people to send you a report at your at your internet address or something like that um, and so I found this all very satisfying one, one kind of funny moment we're we're waiting here in northern Virginia for the arrival of the cicadas I don't know if you've heard about this but uh, there are they're kind of locusts they're kind of they're they're an insect and they stay in the ground really kind of amazing they stay in the ground for 17 years and every 17 years um, when summer comes, they come out of the earth in mass. They say there are billions of these things per square mile. Uh, I vaguely remember it. We were back here a little bit 17 years ago. But um, uh, these these bugs are now supposed to be coming. Any, any day now, they will be popping out of the earth and will be, you know, plagued by these things for, for a month or so. And they're rumored to be very loud. They make like a kind of a clicking sound. So I got this little beacon thing going here in the shack, and it, it actually drives a relay. So it's making this clicking sound, this clicking sound. And, and my daughter was sitting in the next room, and I guess I had gone off, and I was 
getting a cup of coffee or something, and she heard this clicking sound from the shack, and she got confused, and she asked me, is that the, uh, she said, Dad, is that the cicadas, are the the cicadas here? (laughs) So that's the name of this little uh, thing now. We're going to call this beacon generator, the cicada. Um, a lot of fun with the even with the even with the little beacon program. I put it on the air. And I had it drive my uh, my 20 meter uh, transmitter just for fun, and I set it up so it would call CQ for me. Not that not that calling CQ is such an onerous task, but I just found it fun to sit back and watch the little Arduino with my uh, little relay driver there key the uh, the 20 meter CW transmitter from the D- from the Dominican Republic and. I, I linked it up with another really nice um, bit of, of technology that is changing the way we do ham radio, even the way we do old ham radio like CW, and that's the reverse beacon network. We've talked about this on the podcast here before. This is an amazing uh, system where there are these stations out there called skimmers, and they're running software-defined radios that are set up to listen for CQs. And if they hear somebody calling CQ on, uh, on the ham bands and the CW bands, they record the frequency, the, the signal strength, and, uh, and the call sign, and then they upload the whole thing uh, to the Internet. And if you go to the Reverse Beacon Network website and set it up to look for your call sign and then turn to your transmitter and call CQ or in my case ask your Arduino uh, beacon board to call CQ for you you could just sit back and watch this map display of the skimmer stations out there that have heard your call and this is this is really amazing because you know we've all sat there for long periods calling CQ in vain wondering if our signals were actually leaving the backyard with nobody answering. Well, with Reverse Beacon Network, um, I almost always have somebody spot my signal, even if it's a station um, within ground wave distance, and there are many here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, stations will, will spot your signal, and you'll see a little, you know, little, a little report appear on the map uh, listing the stations that have heard you. So uh, I would sit there and uh, and and watch the uh, the reverse beacon network report. Now I, I discovered something interesting. For a while there, I was getting like no reports, and I was thinking, "Wow, I really am not getting out of the uh, the backyard." And I thought that that can't be possible because when I've done it manually, I almost always get reports. And I started trying to figure out what was different. And I, the only thing I noticed that was different was that Mark had the um, the software is set up to transmit at uh, 12 words a minute. And I usually go just a bit faster. My, my normal code speed is about 15 words a minute. And that's what I had been doing when I was experimenting with the Reverse Beacon Network, you know, uh, with, um, with, with the straight key. And so I, um, I just went into the software and upped the... Uh, the code speed to 15 words a minute, and then immediately started noticing uh, a lot more uh, spots on the reverse beacon network. So I throw out a question to the reverse beacon network gurus: Is there, in effect, a lower speed limit for CW on on the RBN? I I, I 
it, I suspect that there might be, or it might be just the way guys have set up their uh, their their skimmers and the skimmer programs. All right, listen, I want to step back now and just give you some thoughts about the Arduino. Uh, first of all, I ask myself, why is it that a hardware analog guy like me can be so taken in by this digital device, this heavily software <laughs> digital device, this non-analog device, you know, filled with, uh, I mean, I don't even really like, um, you know, and I don't really like any 602 chips or LM386 chips because they're chips. I, I prefer discrete components, and here I am playing with this little thing that has got a whole computer stuffed into one chip with about what it looks like about 24 legs coming out of it. Um, and I, I've, I've come up with the answer why why this device has such an allure. First, it's and I guess I'll put it this way: it's sort of QRP computing, not in the sense of how much power is used, although I think very little power is used here. But the thing is, it's it's very simple, and it 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 sort of is the the computing digital version of the simple CW transmitters that you find in the pages of our beloved Sprat uh, magazine from GQRP Club. I think one of the hallmarks of of the QRP movement is simplicity, and you find that simplicity in the Arduino. There's no operating system. The only program that the Arduino is running is the last one that you loaded into it from the USB port. So I load upload Mark's program and that's the program that the Arduino runs and it just runs it forever as long as power is applied. If I want to change Mark's program I go into my computer, make the changes to the message that the beacon is going to send, go back, save the changes, boom, upload it into the Arduino, and now it's got a new program and it's running. So there's a an element of uh, of simplicity there that I think will resonate with uh, with the QRPers out there. Low cost is another factor. I've been listening to stuff, um, and I I recently got the book of the. Uh, the co-founder of Arduino and, and sort of, I think, the main uh, um, kind of proponent, the public face of, of, of Arduino, and that's Massimo Banzi. Um, and he, in one of the interviews, was describing the, uh, the cost factor that they had in mind when they were designing and building the Arduino. And they decided that they wanted to make the Arduino available for less than the cost of a pizza dinner. Uh, and I thought that was really uh, kind of cool, kind of charming. And they've managed to keep the cost quite low. When I when I thought that I had completely destroyed my Arduino board, the first one, I just went out and ordered another one. I think it's like about twenty-five bucks. And uh, so now I have two. And uh, but they're they're very low cost. The other reason I like the Arduino, uh, and I'll I'll admit this, is that it has, you know, and this is important to me. It has an Italian factor, an Italian charm factor. There's a definite element of Italy in this, of, of good Italian design. 
and uh, you know it's got it actually has a little map of Italy on the back of the board and I'm a big big fan of Italy I lived there for three years I continue to study the Italian language and so there's this Italian factor there and also when you hear the stories of, uh, of Maximo talking about how how they built this thing what they want to do with it and uh, and how they want to keep the cost below that of a of a of a of a pizza <laughs> it's 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 cool this is the this is the cool microcontroller guys this is the way to go I'm convinced you know it's and it's really kind of becoming quite popular if you've been into a radio shack lately you'll know that there's there's an Arduino section in radio shacks um so um uh, it's 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 really it's really happening all right let me tell you about my next project because as soon as I had success with um the uh with the little beacon controller I immediately started thinking about what else can I do with the Arduino and one of the applications that I've always been uh really tempted to try with a microcontroller is um a signal generator or a VFO you know I we have talked about the kinds of uh, oscillators and VFOs that we build most of my oscillators are variable crystal oscillators most of my rigs have variable crystal oscillators in it and you get you know you get a little bit of uh, of a wiggle room on that crystal but not too much you know maybe 10 maybe 15 kilohertz that's it but you're always bound you're stuck you're restrained my 17 meter my beloved 17 meter uh, SSB transmitter I have to have two crystals in there and I have a little switch that I switch back and forth because I can only get about uh, 12 or 15 kilohertz out of each crystal anyway so the, the thought of being able to go you know far and wide in the frequency range with a uh, digitally derived um, uh, VFO with a with a digital readout precise digital readout I found uh, very very appealing so <clears throat> Anyway, I started uh, looking around and, and figuring out how to do this, and it seemed like the way to do it was direct digital synthesis. And I, I'd been listening to chat with the designers. They talked about this a bit. I've heard about the various DDS uh, projects out there. And in the course of reading about this, you know, I'll be, what you really need then, you need is a, another little board. The Arduino will work with a, uh, a DDS chip to produce... Um, a radio signal, a radio frequency signal, and I started looking around for which board I should get. There was a pretty wide range of prices on different DDS boards, but I I I heard some I read something interesting on the internet that lately there's been uh, a huge supply of a particular kind of of DDS uh, chip and board. It's called the DDS 9850. Apparently. You know these, these these kinds of DDS chips are used in all kinds of electronic devices. You know that little you know AM/FM radio that you have in the kitchen with the digital readout has some form of of DDS chip in it. Um, but apparently somebody in China made large quantities of these 9850 boards, and there's some sort of error in there that makes them unsuitable for the original application that they were intended for, and so they're now available on the market and and guys they are cheap I got mine for less than seven dollars shipped from China 
I sent in the little ad. I did it via, I think I did it via Amazon. And, uh, and sure enough, a little while later, this envelope, it comes in an envelope. It's so small. A little envelope comes from Chen Fei in Bao'an, Shenzhen, China. Shows up there in the mailbox. And sure enough, it's got the, uh, the 9850 chip in it. The 9850 chip's about the size of your thumb. And um, I started looking around on the Internet, and I found a, a website. I'm going to have to pause here because I want to tell you guys the, uh, the website owner. So I'm going to pause. You're not even going to notice it. I'm going to stop now. I'm going to go search around the Internet. I'm not going to come back and tell you which particular, who, who helped me out with this thing. All right, got it. It's Richard. AD7C. He's got an amazing uh, website up there and he's got a real good description of a VFO that that he built using an Arduino and a DDS9850 chip from China. And this was just a little bit more complicated for me than the, the CW beacon generator project. Um, it involved connecting up a uh, an LCD um, display, a little rotary encoder, the 9850 chip, and uh, and then loading up the software that uh, that Richard had uh, had developed. Uh, you know, and you know any any kind of electronic project of any complexity is going to require a certain amount of kind of messing around to get it working and poking and fixing it and correcting errors and there was a bit of that with this but I must say this thing went together I think far easier than most of the analog uh, projects that I've been involved in and you know uh, we've talked here about some of the heartache that goes into analog hardware, pro hardware projects and I've been you know as many of you have I've, I've pulled a lot of hair out trying to get things working this was relatively easy I mean it was pretty straightforward even for, for somebody like me, who's a real uh, digital uh, novice, so um, this thing went together, and it was it's it's really amazing. I must say, I've got it sitting here on the bench, and I'm going to put a picture up here on the I guess on the uh, on the, the top of the the announcement of this podcast. But it's a thing of beauty, guys. I'm telling you, it's got this beautiful little display. When you turn it on. It starts out generating a, a signal at 7.2 megahertz. You um, the the rotary controller is set up to very easily allow you to move frequency. I I put my scope on the output. I put my ten my um, Tektronix uh, 465 scope on the output and uh, and the frequency counter there. I have the frequency counter running off the back of the the nine six of the 465. And it's a beautiful signal this thing puts out. It's really nice, a really nice sine wave at about, it looks like at about, about two volts peak to peak on no load, but, but really nice. And then I was amazed because I, you know, you have this little rotary controller and by pushing it in, you could set the amount of frequency change that you get when you turn the dial and you could set it so that you can move it in one megahertz steps. Or you can, at the other extreme, you could set it so that you, you move it at 10 hertz steps. When I put it up in the 1 megahertz range, I was amazed because I turned this thing and I could crank it up 
with the, the, the settings in this program, I'm sure I could go much further, but with the settings in the program right now, I can easily crank it up all the way up to 29 megahertz. And the signal on the scope looks absolutely beautiful all the way up. And the levels remains the same all the way up. That would be hard to do with analog circuitry. It really would. I can, in the other direction, I could take it all the way down to 1 megahertz, no problem. When I turn it to 10 hertz, I, I then at that point turned on my, uh, my 17 meter sideband receiver just to see what it sounded like. And sure enough, there it is. The signal shows up as soon as I tune to 18133. And at 10 hertz, when I, when I turn that rotary controller, it's almost like I'm turning the variable capacitor on a VFO or a VXO. I mean, you can hear little—you can hear the little digital steps in there, but it's very much like tuning uh, an analog VFO. It's smooth. It, it jumps perceptibly, but very, very slightly, and uh, and really, really nice. I'm sure you could go in there and change it so that you would be, you know, turning at one hertz, and there you wouldn't even notice the uh, the, the the digital jumping, but but really cool. And I've had I've had a lot of fun with this thing now. I got to figure out how to how to box it up and turn it into a really useful signal generator. You know, and I needed this kind of signal generator. I needed this ability to change the frequency of the signal generator by very small increments. And with the analog signal generator that that I have on the shelf, I really couldn't do that. So, for example, when I wanted to test the bandwidth of um, of a filter, an IF filter. Uh, you really need the ability to very precisely measure the output from the freak, from the filter at one frequency and then change the frequency precisely and in small increments to sort of get a sense for the bandwidth of the filter. That's, that was hard to do with the, the big clunky analog um, signal generator that I'd been using. So I think this will be a real big um, addition to the test bench here. Also, I mean, the applications for, for VFOs and rigs, uh, just, just, uh, mind blowing. I mean, you could, you'll be able to do, I'll be able to do all kinds of stuff. And I, I hope to be able to incorporate these kind of things into, uh, into future rigs. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, it's, I, I really, really like this, this project. And also the, the other thing that comes to mind now with the same kind of technology, it's it'd be real easy to build a um, a frequency counter um, that would using the Arduino. So that might be another another project coming up. Hey, um, one thing with the with the Arduino, I want to mention something else. Uh, you know, right now my um, my uh, signal generator is sort of spread out on two or three proto boards. Um, but what you could do to to to, to kind of pull things together in a much more organized fashion is that you you can use what they call a shield and a lot of you have heard about the, the microcontrollers might be wondering what a shield is all a shield is, is it's another little board that has connectors on it so that you pop it right on top and it rides on top of the of the Arduino and you could buy these boards at Radio Shack or order them of course but you can also make your own shields and uh, Lady Ada at Adafruit has this little shield kit and it's nothing more than the headers and a little piece of a PC kind of a, uh, proto board almost 
And what I, so what I intend to do with my uh, signal generator is take that 9850 chip and put it on top of a, another little bit of PC board. Put the headers down below. So all I have to do to get it to work is to put it right up, have it ride right up on top of the Arduino, and I won't have all these kind of wires floating around on it. And uh, it'll be a lot simpler, neater, more reliable, and uh, and smaller. So uh, I'm going to have a really cool digital uh, signal generator here, thanks to the guys from Arduino. Uh, all right, uh, you know, Viva Italia. <laughs> All right, continuing the digital theme here. I did I had another digital project going um, since we last spoke, and this is um, a little bit more analog, although there's a digital element in it here. I'll explain. When the last rig that I built in Rome was a weird little device on one fairly large PC board. I guess the PC board's probably you know, six inches by five inches or something like that. And my idea was, uh, I was very into Whisper, the weak signal propagation reporting system developed by uh, Joe Taylor, the the only Nobel Prize winner in physics among us. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I was really into the Whisper system. And uh, so I wanted to build a very simple transceiver for 10 megahertz for the 30 meter band and the idea was that I would take this little transceiver link it up to my computer and have the computer send out um, whisper beacon transmissions on 30 meters and then receive uh, transmission receive signals on 30 meters on the whisper system and the computer would then report them to whisper headquarters and I would be a fully functioning transmitting and receiving member of the worldwide whisper community and uh, I got this rig going and it was working fairly well um, wasn't completely satisfied with it it wasn't completely finished and then when we got back here to Virginia I think the first summer that we were back there was a nearby lightning strike and a surge and it took out all kinds of bits and pieces of this poor transceiver so the thing sat on the shelf for a long time and I recently for some reason got the urge to get it going again and so I pulled it off the shelf and started tinkering with it and poking away at it. First, I got the receiver going. Um, the receiver is real simple. And this is a, a demonstration of how simple the technology can be uh, on a, a rig where most of the heavy lifting in terms of selectivity is done inside the computer. Uh, the receiver that I'm using now consists of one uh, 40673 dual gate MOSFET. That's the uh, the front end and the mixer. Uh, the signal is generated by a circuit uh, G3RJV's uh, George Dobbs's Universal VXO circuit running at uh, 30 meters. Um, George's signal. The signal from George's oscillator goes into the 40673, and at the other end, it well, it combines with a signal coming in from the antenna, and audio goes out the other end. And the audio amplifier that I built for this rig is uh, designed by Roger Hayward. Uh, the audio amp 
from his uh, ugly weekender receiver. On the transmit side, I, all I have on the transmit side is a balanced modulator. I don't have any audio amplification at all on the board for the transmitter. There's a two-diode balanced modulator. This is the two-diode circuit that Doug Dumas always used. It's a, not a doubly balanced modulator. It's a singly balanced modulator using two diodes and a trifiller toroid. That's it. RF goes into one of the ports, the RF from George Dobbs's uh, Universal VXO, and into the other port goes audio coming from the computer, actually coming from the headphone jack on the speaker of my computer system. And I, I just realized that there was more than enough audio coming out of the headphone jack to drive the, uh, the balanced modulator. And I didn't need to build uh, an audio amplifier circuit on the transmit side for this rig. Okay, so the balanced modulator produces the, the double sideband RF signal. And then for the amplifier chain, I'd been reading a lot about uh, Peter Parker, uh, his, uh, his beach, um, VK3YE, his beach uh, transmitter. A Beach 40. It's a very simple double sideband, a 40 meter transmitter that Peter designed. We've been talking about it quite a lot, and uh, there's been a lot of folks around the world building it. The, I've, I've, I've had a few articles on it on the Solder Smoke blog, a really interesting rig. Anyway, I really like the RF chain that, that P, Peter has in there. Just uh, three transistors, I think, and it gets it take, takes you up from the balance modulator to about one watt out on 40 meters, and I figured it would be very useful on 30 also with similar power levels. So I built it. Wow, what a pleasure. Thanks, Peter. What a simple little RF chain. No problem at all, and I put that in there. That, ladies and gentlemen, is pretty much the whole transceiver. Uh, you know, and it, it took some poking and adjusting and tinkering and everything else, but I got it going. And my objective this time around was... Oh, wait, 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 hold on. There's, there's a contribution from other folks in there. So oh, I, I made up a list of all the folks who contributed this. Okay, so we've got um, uh, George Dobbs. We've got Peter Parker. I mentioned Roger Hayward. Um, oh, when I was going in there, get every, everything cleaned up, um, I was having one problem at one point because the signal looked really, really kind of nasty. And uh, I remembered words of wisdom from Farhan about the need for uh, an attenuator pad following the um, the balanced modulator circuit. So I went in there and put one of Farhan's, uh, I think it's a 3 dB pad, between the output of the double of the of the balanced modulator and the um, and the RF amplifier, and it straightened things out right away. So we've got a we've got a, an attenuator pad uh, contributed by uh, by Farhan. Ah, the output filter. Very important, and there the inspiration came from our our, our friend from the left coast, uh, Steve Snort Rosen Smith. Steve, you're 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 part of this project too. Low pass filter at the output of the RF amp. Uh, your inspiration there. Also parts that came to me from uh, from friends from from Michael AA1TJ and from Jim AL7RV. Um, and uh, there we go. So uh, it was a fun project because I. I felt the presence of many, many friends in there. Um, let's see. Let's see. Anyway. Okay, so I got this whole thing together. 
my intention was not to go back to Whisper, but I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to use this rig with some of the other digital modes. I figured it would be kind of fun to be able to link this up with a simple little computer, maybe Billy's old Asus EPC, and have a PSK31 uh, QSOs uh, on the 30 meter band. And I thought I might be probably one of the only double sideband stations out there doing this. Uh, I got it all ready to go, and I fired it up, and uh, and it was working. And I actually managed to get uh, a few PSK31 contacts, also some JT65 contacts, more about that in a minute. But the bottom line was it was very, very gratifying that I was uh, actually using this very simple little transceiver with my computer to engage in PSK31 QSOs. Now, I know there are people out there who are running to their keyboards at this point telling me about how evil I am to be using double sideband with PSK31. Don't I realize, they say, that I'm also transmitting on the other sideband, wreaking havoc among <laughs> the folks on that other side of the, fre of, of the center frequency and causing you know, devastating QRM. No, I say. No, I'm not. And here's why. Because when I look at the waterfall display on my computer, because I'm using a direct, a direct conversion receiver, I am in effect looking at both sides of the center frequency. The center frequency that I've chosen is 10.139 megahertz. And I found that that's very useful because that allows you to use JT65 on 30 meters. And it also allows you to use PSK31 a little bit further up in frequency. So that's where I am. So when I look at that one little slot, that one little frequency slot, where I'm intending to put my PSK31 uh, signal, which I think is what, 31 hertz, right? Anyway, uh, I see that it's clear. I'm in effect looking at both the upper sideband and lower sideband. If there's no signal there, well, I'm not going to be dropping in on somebody on the uh, on the lower sideband. So I feel I can do this in good conscience. And also, as uh, Doug DeMaul pointed out when he was discussing double sideband, at QRP levels, especially the QRP levels that we're talking about here, there's very little possibility that you're going to be causing any kind of devastating QRM out there. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, for experimentation and double sideband's allowed. So, <laughs> so, so there. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the things that happened when I, uh, when I got this rig going, I was doing manual transmit receive switching so I'm, I'm struggling just to figure out how to use the software I'm using FL Digi FL Digi a program called fast light Digi if you if you don't have it on your computers go get it it's because it's a lot of fun takes some getting used to so FL Digi but I'd be typing away and all of a sudden I'd have to turn to the to the transmitter over the bench and I was actually using alligator clips on a little piece of wire and I have to hook up the alligator clip and I'm hoping that the guy I'm talking to or calling isn't going away because I'm delaying a lot longer. I would put the alligator clip on there and the relays would go chunk and it would go from receive to transmit. Then I would go to the keyboard and type. And it, it looked 
it looked really kind of comical here. It looked, <laughs> it looked like, oh, I don't know. It, it just, it was, it was, it was really pretty much a lot. Of, it was really a little bit too Rube Goldberg and Heath Robinson here. So obviously I needed a, uh, a TR switching system. And, you know, there are a couple options there. You could, you know, you could do something through the serial port, but my new computer doesn't have a serial port on it. And uh, then I, I remember in the past I had worked out something where I got a USB to serial converter. I think that thing went up in smoke when the lightning hit too. But uh, I didn't feel like doing that. So it just occurred to me that a little a simple Vox circuit would do it. So I started looking around for, for Vox circuits and I found a couple of good suggestions there out there on the internets. And uh, I built up a little Vox circuit. So it, very satisfying. So now that when I hit transmit, on the uh, on the uh, on the computer, the first little sign of audio over there on the uh, in the rig switches the whole thing from receive to transmit, and off I go. And I, I even with with less than one watt, with this kind of crazy little um, arrangement that I've made, I have no problem at all making PSK31 contacts. Uh, I wish my typing speed was was faster. I'm not sure that this is the, my my favorite mode, but I was just kind of lured in by the technical challenge. I mean, I, like like most of us, I spend all day at work dealing with emails and typing out emails and stuff. And so PSK31 for me, it's 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 sort of like a continuation of that. So it's not it might not be my favorite thing, but I was interested in the technical challenge, and I've had some real nice contacts there. It's fun. I might get into it. JT65. That's a that's a kind of a strange mode. Joe Taylor developed this thing originally for moon bounce. It's it's very slow. It's sort of like the uh, the the Twitter of ham radio, <laughs> because with JT65 you you're transmitting very very slowly, and the messages that you can send are limited. And get this, 13 characters. <laughs> when you transmit, you transmit for like a minute, and then there's a 10-second pause, and then you receive for a minute, and then then you go back to transmit. And that the way the software is set up, um, you're, it's all pretty much a regular sequence. You call CQ, another guy comes on frequency, answers your CQ, you press another button, and it sends your report. He acknowledges. Then you say seven three, and then the whole thing's over. Um, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's uh, it's intriguing and uh, and interesting. And uh, and uh, Joe Taylor originally designed it for Earth Moon Earth, and now guys are using it on on HF for these contacts. I I had a really kind of fun experience with this because um, I'm I'm there and I'm. Uh, I'm using it, and all of a sudden, there's this really strong station, uh, W1VT, and the call sign sounded familiar, really familiar. And I said, "Wow!" I gave him a call on JT65. He came back, and we did the the little contact going back and forth, and we went through the sequence. It was a really good contact. One of my first real solid, complete contacts there on on uh, on JT65. And then I, I said, let me check that, that call sign out. You know, it, it's Zach Lau. Zach it, works at ARRL headquarters. He wrote uh, and writes uh, 
really great technical articles for QST. I've been reading his stuff for, for many years, so it was a real a real hoot to uh, to run into Zach there on JT65. I sent him an email and uh, thanked him for the contact and for the many great articles over the years. He was pleased to to get it, and he told me that he's been having a lot of fun. I think he said he was working. He recently completed, I think, worked all states on JT65 or on the uh, on the digital modes. So uh, that was that was really really cool. I really really like that. All right, let's see. Okay, this is the. I guess it's time for the book corner. I wanted to give you guys some um, some book reviews here, some 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 real quick and some a little bit longer. Uh, last time I mentioned I was um, reading a book called The New Cool, and it's uh, about the uh, these kids at a high school in California involved in the robotics uh, competition. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I it, it fit in well with my uh, this my struggles, my early struggles with the Arduino. I liked how they described the interaction between software and hardware that goes on in the robotics world, but um, it was okay. It was okay. I just give it three soldering irons. You, you guys might be interested. It's uh, very much about Dean Kamen and his efforts to promote uh, science and technology. Very interesting guy. Now, a book that I really like and I really strongly recommend um, is Hollow State Design: The Art and Science of Building with Thermotrons. By Grayson Evans. Grayson's uh, uh, an old friend of ours. Uh, call sign, current call sign, Tango Alpha 2 Zulu Golf Echo. How's that for an exotic call? Boy, there's, there's one that would get you jumping out of your chair when that comes through on, on CW on a cold winter evening. His US call sign, uh, KJ7UM. And Grayson is, uh, he's, he's living in Turkey and he's written this wonderful book, Hollow State Design mostly for the radio amateur, The Art and Science of Building with Thermotrons. And I, I really like Grayson's book. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's the, the opposite end of the technology spectrum from the digital world that we've been discussing today. But, wow, I love tubes too. And I understand them a lot better based on my reading of, um, of, of, of Grayson's book. And... Um, he, he just he also he he, uh, he gives you um, descriptions of how he got into ham radio and um, <clears throat> and and let me just read you one little excerpt. He, there's a lot of humor in this thing, um, and uh, I'll just read you a couple paragraphs here to give you a sense of it. Um, by the time I got to Georgia Tech, 1966, I think tubes were over. No self-respecting EE school would even admit tubes existed, much less Georgia Tech. I also discovered that there were two types of double E students, those that had little or no experience with electronics prior to college, and those that did, mostly hams. The ones with no experience were very smart but looked at the EE curriculum as a degree program with a good job assured. They usually had little difficulty with the various double E courses and seemed to accept everything taught about electronics at face value. The other kind of double E student was like me. They grew up with it, and even if they weren't a ham, they had the knack. These students, like me, seemed to have a lot of difficulty, especially with anything related to RF. I don't know about most schools, but Georgia Tech could take a subject that I knew was fun and exciting and make it into something that had nothing to do with the known universe. 
Not once did they ever mention a cubical quad or an inverted V. Let's, the college-educated WEs always thought electric current flowed from positive to negative. The guys like me knew this was a complete crock and understood intuitively that electrons are the only current flowing in real life and electrons carry a negative charge. In all my zillions of years in electronics, I never once measured a flow of holes. To this day, this drives me nuts. I can assure you that I have never been shocked by a hole. <laughs> right on, Grayson. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's a beautiful book. It's wonderfully illustrated. He's got a great writing style. It's available from Lulu.com. Just go to Lulu and, uh, and Google Hollow State Design. Lulu.com, Hollow State Design. You won't regret it. Wonderful book. Grayson's selling them out there at uh, four days in May. I hope many, many people bought them. And if you didn't get one there, get it from Lulu because it's a great book. The other book I want to mention is Getting Started with Arduino by Massimo Banzi. I mentioned Massimo before. I just picked up his book. I got it from Lady Ada. And when you read the, the preface um, about um, his days as a teenager, you realize that Massimo has the knack, and I'll just read it here. Um, As a little kid, I was always fascinated by discovering how things work. Therefore, I used to take them apart. This passion grew as I targeted any unused object in the house and then took it apart into small bits. Eventually, people brought all sorts of devices for me to dissect. My biggest projects at the time were a dishwasher, and an early computer that came from an insurance comp- insurance office, which had a huge printer, electronics cards, magnetic card readers, and many other parts that proved very interesting and challenging to completely take apart. After quite a lot of this dissecting, I knew what electronics components were and roughly what they did. On top of that, my house was full of old electronics magazines that my father must have bought at the beginning of the 1970s. I spent hours reading the articles and looking at the circuit diagrams without understanding very much. The process of reading articles over and over, with the benefit of knowledge acquired from taking apart circuits, created a slow, virtuous circle. A big breakthrough came one Christmas when my dad gave me a kit that allowed teenagers to learn about electronics. Every component was housed in a plastic cube that would magnetically snap together with other cubes establishing a connection. The electronic symbol was written on top. Little did I know that the toy was also a landmark of German design because Dieter Rams designed it back in the 1960s. It goes on like this and it's just wonderful. And then it, then it gets, he gets into his description of, uh, of how the Arduino works. And, but it, it's very, very apparent from reading this book that, uh, that, uh, that Massimo Banzi has the knack. Somebody get that man a ham radio license. Solder Smoke Mailbag. Ooh, that's awesome. Yeah, okay. Solder Smoke Mailbag. Here we go. Yeah, I got a real nice email from George Dobbs, G3RJV. He heard me talking last time about the Bare Bones Superhead from Doug DeMoy. This is a nice picture of him and Doug at the 1992 Dayton Hamvention. He said that uh, he did a presentation uh, based on the bare bones super head. Doug did the first half, 
and he talked about the design criteria for the receiver and, and uh, George did the second half on practical implementation of the design and he showed his version of the receiver with a few additions and he considers that his best hour at Dayton which is saying something and uh, he points out that uh, he's attended almost every event since 1984. I know he was out there this week and I'm uh, hoping to be able to see his presentation up on, on the net. Thanks for the, uh, for the email there, uh, George. Good to hear from you. Got a nice, got a nice email from Dave, K8WPE, telling us about when he was up in the, uh, Ecuadorian Andes as a, as a medical student, 8,000 feet up there in the Andes, and they had a ham radio station that he used to communicate with the folks back home. And uh, apparently they had real serious kind of um, voltage flux fluctuation problems up there at the station. And one of the things that uh, you were supposed to do in that situation was keep an eye on the voltage. And apparently Dave was uh, a bit remiss in that. And all of a sudden there was a loud pop and he had blown up the transceiver. Wow. <laughs> he was worried. <laughs> but uh, never no, no need to worry because they jumped in the Jeep and drove down to town and they found... Uh, a very uh, talented Ecuadorian guy there who could actually fix the the rig for him, and it was a it was a good story. It reminded me of all those uh, Santo Domingo stories I had, where you could find somebody in a in a country or in a in a in a kind of a struggling uh, developing country, and you could still find people who knew how to fix things. So Dave was able to find that same kind of uh, repair service there in Ecuador. Thanks for for sharing that with us, uh, Dave. Got a nice email from. Our good friend Jim AL7RV. I'll, I'll I'll always think of him as AL7RV. He's got a new call sign, and it's a really cool one. W8NSA. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he says he chose it because it had a good CW weight. There's a way that I think there are websites out there that'll tell you the uh, the relative merit and ease of transmission. They are in CW. So Jim went with W8NSA. Uh, good luck with the new call sign, Jim. Good to hear from you. Thanks for all the parts and, and inspiration that you've sent over the years. You got to hook up here on, on Echo Link soon and talk things over. I got a really good email from Michael AA1TJ, the, uh, the poet laureate of QRP. The hero of the Hobbit Hole in Vermont. He's he's retired now, and he's spending more time in the shack, uh, which is a good thing for all of us because he always comes up with these amazingly inspirational ideas and projects. I, I mentioned to him my adventures in PSK, and he he, he responded that uh, he might join me in that mode, but first he has to figure out how if he can if he'll be able to receive uh, PSK signals via a coherer. <laughs> he's playing around with. Coherers, cat whiskers, chunks of galena, and he's sitting sitting back in his chair and listening to uh, HFCW um, with a uh, with a, a cat's whisker and a chunk of galena. Excellent, fine business, Michael. Uh, try some uh, some fool's gold there. Some uh, some I think it's iron pyrite, right? Some fool's gold, uh, uh, Mike. Uh, KL7R and I were experimenting with uh, with fool's gold there for a while. It seemed like a good substance for 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 the detector, uh, even better than galena, I think. Anyway, good to hear from you, Michael. Keep those uh, keep those projects going. Keep that solder smoke uh, pouring out of the uh, the Vermont Hobbit hole. Good to hear from you, old man. 
got a nice email from Steve Silverman, our uh, solder smoke lexicologist. I think that's it. <laughs> I'll have to check the lexicon. Uh, Steve sends in a, uh, a nice article from the Smithsonian about uh, Morse code and the origins of the QWERTY keyboard. Great stuff on that site. Uh, Steve, I still have to dig into that article, but I, it, the, your, your, your link led me to an amazing article about a Russian family that uh, has been living alone out in Siberia, completely isolated from human contact for about 40 years. It was almost like one of those stories about uh, groups in the Amazon. Great stuff. Reading a lot about the history of uh, CW2 because another book I'm looking at is the um, Victorian Internet, the story of the telegraph. Very interesting stuff. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Thanks for the uh, suggestion there, Steve. All right, here's here's one I really got to share with you guys. This is I thought this was was pretty amazing, semi spooky. It comes to us from Kevin Alpha Alpha Seven, Yankee Quebec. You might recall Kevin was the smoke jumper. He was uh, the guy, one of the guys who parachuted into forest fires out of the American West to put the fires out. Kind of a hazardous profession. And uh, I published a, uh, an article, a little, a little posting on the blog about uh, about Kevin not long, well, a few years ago. Haven't heard from him in a while, and he, so he, he touched base. And I'm going to read you bits of his, his email. Kind of interesting. Bill, it's been a long time since I've written to you. I am the ex-smoke jumper up here in the great winter wonderland known as Montana. I thought I'd drop a quick note to say howdy and fill you in on the crazy string of events that happened this afternoon. To refresh your memory, I stopped jumping fire in 2009. I have continued to be employed with the U.S. Forest Service as a radio technician. Part of my duties is to do annual maintenance of all the Gallatin National Forest VHF handheld radios. So every winter, I update the programming and check the VCOs, RX specs, modulation, TX power on about 250 handheld radios. Anyhow, I had finished programming and tuning a large batch of radios, and today I was making my rounds to deliver them to the various offices. My route was from Bozeman, Montana, where my shop is, to West Yellowstone, where I used to jump out of, through the north side of Yellowstone Park to Gardiner, Gardiner, I guess it is, then following the Yellowstone River north up the Paradise Valley, where I grew up as a kid, to Livingston, where I live now. I must say it's an absolutely beautiful drive, that took me to six of my delivery points. This time of year, Yellowstone Park is closed to normal traffic, but official government use is permitted, so you see very few other vehicles. It's a pretty neat time to be in the park. Continuing, I stopped at the smoke jumper base to deliver the radios and visited some of the bros for a bit, then headed on my way. As I drove off, I was thinking of my very last fire jump in Yellowstone, and it reminded me that I had written to you back in 2008 about my last jump and listening to solder smoke while waiting for my ride home. So there he was on his last jump, listening to solder smoke on his ride home from the jump. So today, as I drove on through the park, I turned on the old Yesu FT-747 that I installed in my work truck to accompany me on some of these long drives. I did not have the mic or key with me, so I was voiceless, but I put the 20-meter stick on my Hustler antenna and, and turned it on anyway. I enjoyed tuning to some CW while driving and just listening to random QSOs 
to make use of my drive time by honing my CW skills. After I turned on the radio, I heard some W7 station calling CQ, and I listened for a while in hopes that it might be W7ZOI. I always am listening for the call signs of the QRP gurus out there. No luck, though. It was not Wes. I continued listening for quite a while. On the final leg of my trip from Gardner to Livingston, I was just north of Yankee, Yankee Jim Canyon in Paradise Valley when I heard a very rhythmic CW pattern. It was almost musical sounding, so I tuned it, so I tuned it in good, put the narrow filter on, and listened. It sounded like the op was using a vibroplex bug key due to the long dash patterns. But the way he keyed it was almost like CW Rhythm and Blues. It was a little tough to copy, but fun to listen to. None other than yourself. W it was fun to listen to, nonetheless. Anyhow, as I continued to listen, his call sign was KC0MTC in Des Moines, Iowa. And you can guess he was who he was talking to. None other than yourself, N2CQR. I couldn't believe it. I had just been thinking about solder smoke. In fact, I had even checked the podcast on my iPhone before leaving West Yellowstone to see if a new one had been posted yet. Then, an hour or so later, I hear you live on 14.0585 MHz. What are the chances? I was frantically thinking of a way to jury-rig the cable of some sort to plug it into, into my key jack. I was hoping you would make another contact so I could pull over take a 15-minute safety break, rig up a key out to the headphone cable or something, and give you a call by touching the wires together. Unfortunately, you disappeared right after that QSO with KC0MTC. Think of it. You went QRT. I think you went QRT after that. I tuned around the CW portion of 20 searching, but no luck. Either way, I got a kick, big kick out of it and thought it was quite a coincidence. I figured you would appreciate the story, so here it is. Your signal report from Montana. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Small world. <laughs> I, that was one of the few CW QSOs that I was that I made that week, and I was glad that you were able to 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 pick me up out there in Montana. We'll have to talk again real soon. All right, gang. That that wraps it up for for uh, for for solder smoke mailbag and for solder smoke one five two. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, good luck with all your projects in 7.3 from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. 
Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi! Thank you.